0: Morning, Brookside. Need a suitcase here. It's good to see everybody. I hope you're, uh, you're having a good weekend. Where'd the warm weather go? Anybody know? That's true. Hey, if you're a guest here with us this morning, we uh, we want to say a special welcome to you as well. We're really glad that you could be here with us and and uh, and join us today. We've, uh, we've got an exciting passage of, of scripture, really an incredible passage of scripture to look at this morning. Uh, this is really an exciting week for us as a church, as, uh, as Christ followers, as we prepare, as we, as we look forward, uh, to Easter. In the scriptures, there's so much to say. Um, there's, um, it just can't be highlighted enough in the scriptures, all the things that are happening in this last week before we get to Easter. And so it's my prayer that today, your hearts will be helped in the preparation and, and kind of in the build to Easter, um, that you'll be able to walk into Easter and you'll feel like, okay, I'm I'm prepared. So you can look at this weekend as this is like preparation for the celebration. Uh, I want to remind you that this Friday we have our Good Friday service, and so that'll be a great way to uh, to come and get prepared for Easter. It'll be a reflective service that will help kind of prepare your heart. And so that's at 630. I want to make you aware of that. Know that there will be child care um, at that service as well. This week, is, uh, it's, it's referred to as, by many as Holy Week, or as many would also refer to it as Passion Week. Uh, you might be a new believer, or maybe you're new to the, to the study of the Scriptures, and, and know this, that in the, in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find the accounts of Jesus Christ. You find out what he was doing, and the majority of the content of those first four books of the New Testament are all about his ministry, about the things that he was doing, about his life, about his, about his teachings. Yet, of all the content in those first four books, of all the ink that's recorded, 30% of that is given to this very last week of his life, called Passion Week. And in order to understand the life of Christ, we've got to understand his passion. You've heard of um, the the passion of of Christ. The the word passion in that context, it means to suffer. It means to, to, to go through something, to endure something. The passion of Christ, you could say, was the purpose of Christ. You could look at this week as Passion Week, but you could also look at it as this was Purpose Week. Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 27, as he was entering into this week. He said, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this very reason that I came th- That I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Today, as Rob has said, is Palm Sunday. Today marks the unfolding of the event that kicked off Passion Week, the week that would change the course of history. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28, and and it's what is referred to as the the triumphal entry. It's the first in a chain of events that would ultimately lead Jesus Christ very quickly, I might add, to his crucifixion. Before we jump in, I I just want to ask you, would you pray with me? And and let's just go to the Lord and let's just say, hey, God, would you speak to us this morning? God, would you have a word for us? So will you pray with me and and then we'll dive in. Lord, this morning we come to you and we just want to say, Lord, it is a privilege uh, to be able to to, to open up your word together this morning. And Lord, we're asking you to speak to us today. Lord, we're praying that you you would show up and that you would do a mighty thing. We thank you that you promise that you're with us. And so now we pray that you would speak, Lord. Might we reclaim the things that are of most importance to us? Lord, might we today be awakened? Might our, our faith be inspired? Lord, might you open us up this morning to the greatness of who you are? Might you remind us of that? And so maybe just even on your own, just say to the Lord, Lord, this morning I am open to you. Lord, I'm asking you in these next moments, would you speak to me? God, would you have a word Uh, for me. And so maybe just have that kind of a prayer with the Lord, even just right now on your own. So Lord, that's our prayer. We're open to you and we thank you that you're faithful and you're good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to ask you a question and, and you might jot this down. We'll be coming back to it. Here it is. How do you respond to the coming of the King? How do you respond? Think of an event in your life that you really looked forward to, something that you anticipated, that you prepared for, something that you you just couldn't wait till it happened. You, The people around you, they knew about it because you were talking about it, you were sharing it, you were excited about it. Is there anything that comes to your mind? Maybe it was a vacation that you were like, oh, I just can't wait, we're going to go, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it was a high school graduation or college graduation or prom or, or a concert or, or seeing some close friends or a family member. What, did, what are some things you've looked forward to? One of the guys on our staff has been looking forward to an event for several months. He and his wife have been preparing in multiple ways. On Tuesday of this last week, our junior high pastor, Brad Zook, and and his wife, Leslie, welcomed a new baby boy into their home. Let's check out this picture. This is Parker Aaron. He's a good-looking little guy, isn't he? Yeah, like a mini Brad, I think, yeah. Now, needless to say, there was excitement around this, right? I mean, I'm asking Brad all the time, how's Leslie doing? There's excitement. Parents, you know that longing that you had inside of, oh, I can't wait till I see my child face to face. What is something that you've longed for? You've anticipated it's coming. You couldn't wait for it to arrive. Last weekend, we were outside like many of you probably were, and we were doing yard work at home and and had been outside for quite a while, and, and we heard this loud sound up the street that got all of our attention. It might be a familiar sound to you. Check this out and see if it's familiar to you. Uh, like that. What's that sound? The ice cream man, the ding ding man is what we call him, yeah. The ding ding man, right? And yeah, I mean, it's the ice cream man in his cool white van, right? So my five year old, when he hears this sound, he comes running around the corner and he, he comes right up to me, gets right in my face, he starts tapping my arm and he's like, Dad, Dad. And he can still see the truck kind of in the distance and he's looking right up at me. He says, Dad, Dad, do you have a quarter? You know, and I'm thinking, There's nothing in that dude's van for a quarter, you know, right, right? But the ice cream truck for my son was like, whoa, it was like big time. It was excitement, it was intensity, it brought him delight. But for me, when I heard the sound of the ice cream man, here's what I thought. I thought, wow, it's only April, dude, right? Isn't there a better neighborhood than ours, right? Same ice cream van, right? Same cute little catchy tune, same loud, annoying bell, right? Yet two very, very different responses. In our text this morning, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see several different responses to the coming of the king. And I think what's going to happen is this. As we look at our text this morning, you're going to be able to find yourself. You're going to be able to go, oh, that, that's me. Yep, oh, that, yep, you're reading my mail on that one. That, that's me. How do you respond to the coming of the king? Let's dive in. Turn with me to Luke chapter 19. This event that we're going to look at is unique in that it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Um, We are going to stay primarily in the book of Luke, but we're also going to look at some of the other accounts in the other Gospels, the other three Gospels, to get some additional insights to it as well. Here's the context. Let me kind of build this to you for uh, just a second here. By the time that, that, that we're looking at Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, Jesus in this context has been doing ministry now for about three and a half years. He's traveled around and around and he's ministered to a lot of people. He's attracted large, large crowds. In the book of, in the book of, of Mark, it says, um, about him that, that the word about Jesus spread quickly. Because his teaching was like a, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like, oh, wow, oh, okay, we get that. Oh, we can understand. Oh, that makes, oh, that's comforting. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, it says, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He healed people that were afflicted with everything from fevers to leprosy. He released people that were spiritually oppressed. He went to places that were hard. Jesus was the type, he got down dirty, he got into it. He was with people that only, that other people would simply shun. They would turn their backs on. Those who were oppressed, those, excuse me, those who opposed him. The people that were like, no, no, Jesus, we're, no, no, we, no, we're not, not for you. Those who opposed him, in large part, they opposed him because he was the type that extended grace to people who they didn't think deserved it. Yet it was those types that appealed most to Jesus. Verse 28, let's look at this together. Verse 28. And Jesus, uh, or excuse me, after Jesus said this, and Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God, after Jesus said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, now Bethpage and Bethany, these were like two little suburbs right at the base of Jerusalem, about two miles away from Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever written. And we'll come back to that. There's a ton of meaning in that. Untie it and bring it here. Now, this would have been a kind of an out there request, but there's a lot behind this request. In the narrative that's recorded in the book of Matthew, there's a, it it points this out. Matthew chapter one, verse four and five. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then hear this. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew is quoting the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse verse 9. And the way in which this is unfolding is about much more than just, hey, this is going to be better transportation for Jesus. No, 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 there's much more to it. This is about fulfilling a prophecy that was written about the coming of the Messiah. A prophecy that was written 500 years before what we're reading. I love this about scripture. And to a T, this prophecy is fulfilled. Verse 31. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Now, think about that. If anyone like calls you a donkey thief and tackles you, is I think what it could be said there. What are you supposed to do? Tell him the the Lord needs it. Look at verse 32. It says, those who were sent ahead went and they found it just as he had told them. They, they went, notice this, this is the first response to the coming of the king. What did they do? Those that kind of got this weird response of, go get this donkey and untie it and bring it to me. What did they do? It says that they went. You might circle that word. Those who were sent ahead went. Notice that they didn't say, it doesn't say, notice it doesn't say, those who were sent first questioned. Those who were sent, they debated with Jesus. They said, whoa, Jesus, your thought process is a bit off on this one. No, they didn't do that. You know, like a parent, like a a kid, sometimes they do this with their parents, at least mine do. Yeah, but no, dad, but. there, There was none of that. Now, we know how this unfolds. We've read the story maybe before. But this was no small deal to these guys. It couldn't have been. Imagine this in real time. You're asked, hey, go down the street. There'll be a car parked in the driveway. There'll be the owner of the car in his garage, just sitting there watching. I want you to go, I want you to get in the car, the, car, the keys will be in the ignition. I want you to start the car, and then I want you to back it out and then drive it to me. I mean, that, that, sounds, that sounds crazy. It sounds like more like a way to, instead of following Jesus, more like a way to get to jail, right? Not a good thing. Yet notice their response. Their response was obedience. If you say so, Jesus, we will. If Jesus asked you, question here, if Jesus asked you, if he asked me, if he asked me to do something that was a bit out there like this, how would I respond? How would you respond? How would you respond if you sense God was saying to you, hey, think twice about that business deal. Oh, that that relationship that you're in, you you know you're settling. Don't settle because I've got this for you. Don't, don't, Don't settle. Hey, call her. Reconcile. Reconcile that relationship. Or the guy you sit to, the guy, your boss at work, that, tell him about me. You've been changed. Tell him about me. If, if God gave you that whisper, and it was kind of out there and kind of scary, what would your response be? I love their response. It's immediate obedience. Look at verse 33. It says, as they were untying the colt, guess what? Its owners asked, why are you untying the colt? In Mark's gospel, it records that the owner said, what are you doing untying that colt? I picture the disciples at this point beginning to sweat, you know? They replied just as Jesus had told them, verse 34. They replied, the Lord needs it. And I imagine them thinking this, I hope he's your Lord too, right? The Lord needs it, you know, pulling that thing away. I hope you have a friend in Jesus, you know, like, I mean, just kind of like, whoa, we're kind of putting ourselves out here. In Mark's gospel, it says then this, the people let them go. Let them go. It was evident that the owners had some knowledge of who Jesus was because they very, very freely gave of what they owned. Think about the response to the coming of the king as it relates to their possessions. Who needs it? Oh, Oh, Jesus. Yeah, we heard about Jesus. Yeah, I'm from Galilee. I heard about, oh yeah, I saw what he did in Bethany two days ago. Jesus. Okay, Jesus, yeah, go ahead. You can take it. Here's a question. Is there anything that I own? Is there anything that you own that I wouldn't be willing, that you wouldn't be willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? Don't miss this. One of the things you've got to love about these, these owners is that they were, they were very free with their stuff. They were open-handed. They were at the disposal of Jesus. That was their moment. That was their response to the coming of the king. Look at verse 35. It says, they brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks they threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on. And so they, they make kind of a makeshift saddle for Jesus. Now, remember the prophecy from Zechariah. Imagine the significance of this picture of, of Jesus now riding on a donkey. If you would have grown up in the synagogue, you would have heard this verse from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And so and when you saw that, I mean, to us, it's kind of like, oh, whatever, you know. But to them, it was like, whoa, this would have been a big deal. This whole donkey thing to us is kind of interesting. But to a, a person that would have grown up in the synagogue, this would have been huge. It had tons of significance. The words of Zechariah, your king comes to you righteous. And having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Having salvation. Second Peter chapter 3 says, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. Jesus enters Jerusalem humbly as the prince of peace. A military leader, now they would have showed up in, in Jerusalem on a horse, a strong horse. What's interesting is that in Jesus' second coming in the book of Revelation, we see this. What does Jesus come on? A white horse, power. But this time, his first coming, he comes in humility. Look at verse 36. Here's another response from the people. As he went along, the people, they spread their cloaks on the road. They spread their cloaks. This was an ancient custom. It it symbolized their respect for him. It symbolized that that they were saying, Jesus, we submit to your authority. It was like rolling out the red carpet. It was like to say, Jesus, we place ourselves underneath you, underneath your leadership, even to walk over if if necessary. It indicated a willingness to to bow, to, to yield, like when you go to a wedding and the cute little girl, you know, she walks down the aisle and she passes out the the little flower petals, you know, that scene, what is she doing? She's preparing the way for an honorable entrance of the bride. How do you respond to the coming of the king? For some in the crowd, there was a desire to very visibly in front of everyone to say, I'm yours. I lay down my cloak. I'm symbolizing to everybody around me. And there were a lot of people I'm under you. You are my leader. Think about the act of spreading the cloak. I mean, I don't think we can just skip over this part of the story. It wasn't as though they were like, oh, yeah, the cloak. Yeah, Jesus coming. I'll be like, no, no, no. They laid down their cloak. Their coat, it was a big deal, right? It was a part of their clothing. Probably didn't have a lot. I mean, think about what they had to do to do that. They got down, right? Got on their knees, probably. They laid it out. They spread it out. Why? He's coming. The king is coming, Right? And it wasn't so that, hey, this donkey can have a little soft deal for its hooves. No, no, no. This was about Jesus. It's about the coming of the king. So they're laying down their stuff. They're saying, they're symbolizing, hey, Jesus, we are underneath you. Matthew chapter 21, verse 8, we get more detail. It says that they waved palm branches. The palm branches were used in celebration. They were used as as a symbol of, of victory. It's interesting because in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, it, it depicts the same thing at the return of, of Christ, his second coming. The people are waving palm branches in worship as a sign of worship to him. So on that day, there was excitement in the crowd. They were proclaiming the praise of the Messiah, the rabbi from Galilee, the one who, who taught with such authority, the one who, who healed people that we thought no one could possibly heal them. Verse 37 It says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. In John's gospel, it says this, the the next day, the great crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. There's a buzz. There's a whisper, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. He's coming. Let me set up the picture of this a, a little bit for you. It's important to know that in Jerusalem, it wasn't just a, a normal day in Jerusalem. This was happening at the time of Passover. And so there were thousands and thousands of people that were gathered in Jerusalem. They had flocked. If you were a good Jew, you would have gone back to, to do what? To celebrate their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. That's what the Passover was about. And so there are three different festivals that a faithful Jew would come back to Jerusalem for. There was the Feast of Dedication that would happen in the winter. There was the Feast of Tabernacles in autumn. And then there was this one in the spring, the Passover. Passover was the largest one. It was easiest to get back for. And so know this, the city of Jerusalem is packed. It's shoulder to shoulder. Some scholars speculate that there were more than a million people in Jerusalem that day. The historian uh, Josephus went as far to say as there were two million people in Jerusalem at that time. I mean, this is not, I mean, in today's kind of standards, this is not a very large area. Think of the crowd this way. You can picture Memorial Stadium, right? You can picture Memorial Stadium. It holds just under 85,000 people. I'm not sure what all that red's about, but, you know, whatever. But try to imagine the the, the size of the crowd, right? Try to imagine the, the magnitude of who's around Jesus, and since it was Passover time, know this also. Not only is the city full of tourists, but since it's Passover, the city is full of lambs. Do you remember what John the Baptist said when he, when he first saw Jesus? He's baptizing in the Jordan River. He looks over the kind of the hill. He says, whoa, 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 look. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is no small detail. The timing of Jesus is impeccable impeccable. If you have something in your life right now that you're worrying about, that you're wondering about, and you're you're asking this question, God, do you, do you see what's going on? God, are, are you in the details? God, do you understand my situation? Be encouraged. And I love this about scripture. It's details like this. It's fulfillments of prophecy that remind me God knows. God understands. He cares for you. He is in the details. Look at the rest of that verse, it says this crowd, massive crowd. It says they began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Now, in addition to the miracles that Jesus performed that for most of them in, in Galilee, that's where he did most of the, his miracles, there was one miracle that attracted a lot of public attention. And that's probably what's being referred to here. Because just days before this, in, in, in Bethany, about two miles from, from Jerusalem, in a very public way, Jesus performed a miracle that got a lot of people's attention. His friend Lazarus has died. He's been dead for four days. Even his sister says to Jesus, Lord, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Leave him alone. Don't open the tomb. By four days. He stinks by now. Don't. Jesus, he says, "Hey, open the tomb." He gets the, gets the tomb open. He says, "Lazarus, come out!" Now, unlike most of his his miracles, this was very public. This was on display. There was a buzz about Jesus. People were probably like touching Lazarus. Wow, you are alive! And there was a buzz about Jesus, a big time. Look at verse. Eight, look at verse thirty-eight. They're proclaiming to this Messiah, this this king that they've seen do these things. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're joyfully quoting Psalm 118 verse 25. Again, they've grown up in the synagogue. They know these verses. Oh Lord, it says, save us. Oh Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In each of the other Gospels, it records that the crowd was yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. And the Hebrew, as Rob said, Hosanna means save now. Save now, I pray, urgency. Look at the response to the coming of the King. Look at this next one, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Hey, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Their reaction was one of disbelief, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known for being the, the types that they were like, Hey, we'll do it our way. We'll look good on the outside, but our hearts will be far from God. In Matthew's gospel, it says that they became indignant. They were angry about Jesus. They charged Jesus with being not of God but with being empowered by the powers of Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons from Matthew 12. That was their interpretation of him. How do you respond to the coming of the king? The Pharisees, they saw him and they said, with disbelief, no, 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 not the one. Jesus, tell your disciples, it's too loud. Do you know what's going to happen if you keep doing that? Notice Jesus' response to them. Verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Those who responded with praise, Jesus does this to them. He affirms them. Now, this this here is a... Uh, I got it here somewhere. This is a non-talking stone, okay? Non-talking, right? I wish it was. It'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I could make a lot of money off a talking stone, right? But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, you know what? If they don't praise me, Pharisees, if my disciples, if the people around me don't bring me praise... I'm coming into Jerusalem obedient to my father. I will die for the sins of mankind. If they don't praise me, the stones will cry out. I will be praised. My creation will cry out to me. Verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. This is the climax, I think, of this whole thing. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. This is a window into the heart, into the mind of Jesus Christ. Remember that there are thousands, though, and thousands of people, and they're yelling at Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I mean, they're singing his praise, thousands and thousands of them. Yet Jesus doesn't get caught up in the midst of it. I mean, if that were me, I would be like, oh, feeling really good. This is like a cool parade. No, no, no. He doesn't get caught up in it at all. He thinks about the spiritual condition of these people, and he begins to sob. He knows that in a matter of days, those who are proclaiming, some of those who are proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, they will proclaim, crucify him, crucify him. If you flip back in your Bible to Luke chapter 13, verse 34, you get a taste of the heart of Jesus and why he was moved to sobbing over these people. Verse 34 of chapter 13, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And to that response, to that unwilling response, it says, What does Jesus do? Jesus sobs. Back to Luke chapter 19. Look at verse 42. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it, and he said, if you even you had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? What would bring you peace? And, and this isn't just like, hey, what would bring you absence of war? That's not what Jesus was referring to. This is that word shalom. This is the whole idea of, of wellness, of, of wholeness, of goodness, of blessing, of favor with God. Just a few verses before this, Jesus says in, in Luke nineteen ten, he says, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. His heart is is, is, is pounding for these people. If you would only have known what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from you. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. You might jot this down, in 70 AD, the Emperor Titus came and this very thing happened. Jerusalem was overtaken. It was a a bloody destruction. The Jews resisted the Romans and and infuriated the Romans and they leveled the city. They leveled everything but one portion of a wall, which is now still there today. It's known as the, the Wailing Wall, part of the temple. Let's get really practical as we close. How do you respond to the coming of the king? You know, maybe you come here today and you would say this, you would say, there are challenges in my life. Maybe you'd say it's a relationship, it's, it's my children are going through something. It's something, whatever it is, it's something at work, whatever it might be. Maybe for you, the best thing that you can do is this. You can be like those, those people in the crowd, they, they heard, oh, Jesus is coming. And when they saw him coming, what they do? They, they laid down something that was important to them. Maybe for you today, you go, oh, I get that symbolism, that's, that's important, And you would say, you know what? I've been bearing something for a while. And so what I need to do today, I need to select. I say, God, this is yours. Your shoulders are big enough. You can take it. Yeah, yeah, okay. It'll still be in my life, but I'll walk with peace now. I can do that. Maybe that's your response today. Or maybe you hear that question. How do you respond to the coming of the King? And you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. I've never laid my life down before him. I, I've never put my trust fully in him. I've never believed the message that he lived out then the rest of this week, that he would journey to the cross and that he would die a brutal death so that I might know him, so that I might have life in him in fullness. Maybe for you, your response today is to say, you know what? I lay my life before you. Maybe your response today is to say, Lord, I received the free gift of salvation. Salvation. Remember the words of Zechariah in that chapter 9. He says, see, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Jesus said, "All oh, this city that he wept over, if only they had known what would bring them peace. My five-year-old gets fired up about the ice cream truck, right? I mean, he looks forward to it. He hears the bell, boom. It's exciting, right? How do you respond to the coming of the king? How do you respond to the one that brings salvation? How do I respond to the one that brings healing? How do we respond to the one that brings hope when healing doesn't come? Are we overwhelmed with gratitude this time of year because our sins are forgiven in Christ? Let's be a church that we are fully engaged in the coming of our king. Yeah, let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we just wanna say that it's overwhelming to grasp that you would come as a man and that you would die so that we might live. And so this morning, what we say to you is we lay our burdens before you, we lay our problems, we lay our stuff, we lay whatever it is, Lord, that might have a clutch or a more importance than you. And we lay it before you as, as kind of a sign that we say, we submit to you, we, we want your leadership, we want your rule. And then maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, I've never laid down my life before. And Jesus would say to you, oh, if you only knew, what would bring you peace? Maybe today's the day you experience the love of your heavenly father, that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And you might not know how to praise something like that or ask that thing to happen in your life. And, And so this is just an example. You just maybe say this in your own words in your heart, but you could say something like this, Lord, I come to you today and Lord, I laid down my life. Lord, not my way anymore. I want it to be your way. I believe that you died for me. You died for my sins, so that I might know you and have right relationship with you. And I accept the free gift of salvation and fullness of life. Yeah. So Lord, that's our prayer today. We love you. And Lord, we look forward to Easter. Lord, might our response as a church to the coming of the King, be one of joy. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.